Good morning, everyone, and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on this uh, Zoom. I'm also recording it live for YouTube. I'm sorry, not live. Live is on Zoom and YouTube is on YouTube. If you're watching YouTube, by the way, if you are actually watching this on the YouTube channel, if you go to the bottom right of your screen, you'll see a little icon with my picture on it. And if you pass your arrow onto that, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel and then you'll get notified of new YouTube videos which go up online. I know that that uh, is something that people have asked me about, so please subscribe to my YouTube channel. If you go onto my website and scroll down to the bottom of the home page, you can actually also subscribe to my weekly newsletter and I'd be delighted to add you to that list. And uh, we send out a newsletter every week with a bunch of new material. I am constantly producing so please share in everything that I'm doing because it's all lahagdul Torah lahadira. I'm only here to provide whatever it is that I have learnt that I can share with you, hopefully in a way that you can learn and you can share with others. That's the point. The whole point of Torah, if you uh, you know, I'm, I don't record my shir in the afternoon. I give a shir between Mincha Marv every day. Um, I don't record that shir. But we're in the middle of the Brysa in the sixth peric of Pirkei Ovis, which talks about the 48 different ways through which you can acquire Torah knowledge. By the way, it's a very important Brysa. We'll get there eventually in our Pirkei Ovis shir. Got quite some way to go. We're only in the first peric at the moment. But um, it's fascinating to see that one of the principal aspects of Torah knowledge is not just that you gain knowledge for yourself, but that you are able to share it with others. And one of my greatest privileges as a rabbi, I always say that I'm really a teacher masquerading as a rabbi. I love to teach and I'm, I'm greatly privileged and honored that people come online live and who tune into YouTube um, and listen to the SoundCloud and whatever it is to learn Torah that I want to teach. That is my greatest joy and my greatest privilege. So thank you all for being my virtual Talmidim and Talmidois, of course. Uh, and this uh, shear started off life as a Parsha shear for women, for ladies, but now it's obviously broadened itself. I have uh, uh, men and women who listen avidly every week to the Parsha shear. This week, Parsha's Koirach, the shear is sponsored by George and Susie Fishman, in memory of George's sister, Clary Fishman, Rivka Baschaim Yehuda Shalom, whose yard site is on the 8th of Tammuz. Her neshama should have an aliyah, and we should all be zoiche to see to chias hamesim. I'm going to talk this week about a fascinating topic. It's one that I've always been interested in, but I've never really researched in any great detail. Uh, you know, it's just one of those famous medrashim that you are somewhat aware of, and it comes up every year, and it's something that you kind of focus on, but never really focus on. And I want to focus on it today, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So listen carefully. The Medrash talks about the Machloikas of Koirach and gives a lot of background detail that is not contained in the Psukim. So I I'm going to give you the basic storyline, at least the initial storyline, and you're going to see that that storyline is augmented. Uh, and it is strongly added to by what the Medrash has to tell us. And I'm going to focus on a particular Medrash, a fascinating Medrash. So, Koirach was Moshe Rabbeinu's cousin. There's never a problem like a problem in the family, right? So, if you have Machloikas, a Machloikas in the family is always the most intense and the most disruptive and the most emotionally 
disturbing. And this was so disturbing that it is recorded in the Torah. And one of the things that the Medrash and the Mepharshim puzzle with, really puzzle with, is what motivated Korach to rebel against his cousin. And I don't want to tell you that there is a definitive answer. I think to some extent, and I'm not saying this out of any disrespect, for, of course, for Chazal and Mepharshim, but to, in some respect, it's a mystery. Because even with all the explanations, somebody stood at the, fount, at the foot of Mount Sinai and was there for um, the Ten Commandments being given. etc., etc. Heard Hashem's voice. And to then really challenge the fundamental aspect of God's plan for the Jewish people. Like the Meraglim in last week's parsha, But Korach was a Levi. And he wasn't, you're going to hear, he wasn't just an ordinary Levi. He was the first cousin of Moshe Rabbeinu. He, according to the Medrash, not a Medrash I'm going to quote today, was one of the richest, wealthiest, most influential people of the Jewish nation. He was a person who was... It's not just well-connected, but spiritual. And you're going to see that the Me'a Shaloyach takes that to a whole new level. How is it possible that he made such a dreadful mistake, such a tragic mistake? How is it possible that he challenged Moshe Rabbeinu, Kim, somebody who was, to this day, is considered the foundational figure of Judaism? Not of the Jewish national group, that, of course, is our ancestors, our forefathers, our patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the foundational figure of Judaism is Moshe Rabbeinu. How is it possible that his contemporary, his relative, challenged him to such an extent that he is recorded in the Torah as the first ever rebel against Moshe Rabbeinu of serious challenge to the leadership of the Jewish people? So I'm going to read you the Medrash. It's a Medrash Tanchuma. Excuse me if I'm going to look down. I'm going to be reading it from the text. By the way, if you want the, um, if you want the source sheet, you'll find it on YouTube. Uh, either as a comment or in the description. It'll, it'll be on my website. It's also going to be in the SoundCloud. You'll have the availability. You can download it and print it off and you can look through it yourself. I'll try and get through as much of it as I can today. But I've, I've actually put together quite an extensive source sheet. It's important material. Let's get through as much of it as we can today. Listen to this Medrash. By the way, the Medrash I'm reading you is a Medrash Tanchuma. But there is a parallel version in Medrash Rabbah. And there's various versions. I'm reading you one version. It's not important which version we look at. We're not here look, examining the uh, differences that exist between one version and another. We want to get the broad perspective, the broad picture of what it is that happened that is recorded in Torah Shabbat Peh about the rebellion of Koirach against his cousin Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, are you ready? Let's do it. Vayikach Koirach, the Pesach says, and Koirach took. Maksiv What is written above, before the story of Koirach? Do you know the parsha, the end of Shlach Lecha? Do you remember? Were you listening? The parsha at the end of Shlach Lecha, the piece at the end of Shlach Lecha, is none other than the one that we read at the end of the Shema about Titsis. Daber al Bnei Yisrael v'asu lahem Titsis. The parsha before Korach, the story of Korach, is a parsha about Titsis. You've got if you have a four-cornered garment, 
an item of clothing that has four corners and you wear it, what do you put on those four corners? You put titties on them. Each one of the corners has to have titties, each of the uh, four threads that are folded in half to make eight threads, and there's different ways of making titties, but essentially it's extremely important if you have this four-cornered beged garment that you put titties on them. Why? Uzachartem es mitzvois Hashem. You should remember Hashem's commandment, Hashem's mitzvois. Veloisasuru achare levavchem vachre einechem. And you shouldn't pursue those things which your eyes see and your hearts yearn for. In other words, it will protect you, will add a layer of protection to make sure that you, as a God-fearing, God-loving, faithful Jew, will observe the mitzvahs and not do things which fly in the face of your Jewish faith. Now, that's the parsha that comes just before the story of Korach. What does the Medrash say? Kofatz Korach v'omar Moshe. Immediately, Korach was very fast, very sharp, very bright. He immediately challenged Moshe Rabbeinu as follows. Ato Oimer, he said to him, you say, What do we have to do on the titis, on these little fringes, that the tassels that we put on the corner of a four-cornered beged? What do we do? We add a pesil techeles. Now, maybe many of you are not familiar with that although in recent years we'll be rather more familiar with it, there was a commandment, part of the commandment of Titus is that you need to put Techeles on the Titus. Why Techeles? Well, we can look at the Gemara to discuss why this particular color, but one of the threads, or perhaps two of the threads hanging down, have to be blue. And they have to be tied in a certain way, and you have to be able to see Hakonov Persil Techeles. You have to have Techeles on the Titus. Now, we lost the ability to create Cheles. This skill, this knowledge, the origin of Titis, which comes from the Chilozoin, is something that is lost to us. I'm not going to give a sheer about the Chilozoin right now. Perhaps I should. It's an interesting topic, and I have given shiurim on it in the past. The Chilozoin was something that the Gemara tells us um, only came up, as it were, for harvesting. It was some type of creature in the sea. One always assumed a fish, but uh, it was a creature of the sea that appeared once every 70 years. And um, for some reason, because of the terrible vicissitudes suffered by the Jewish people uh, all that time ago when the Beis Amikdosh was destroyed, the skill, the knowledge about making Tcheles was lost, and for many, many years nobody even tried to discover it. In the 19th century, there was a man called Reb Gershon Hanach Leiner. He was a grandson of the Ishbitzer Rebbe, who I'm going to quote today, the Me'ashiloyach. He was an extraordinary man. He lived only, sadly, until his 50s. He, did, he um, produced a, a whole range of interesting projects and ideas. In fact, the Me'ashiloyach that we have is material that he recorded from his grandfather. His grandfather apparently either never wrote or never wrote to publish. And Reb Gershon Hanach Leiner was the one who produced the material that we have as the Me'ashiloyach. He also went on a voyage of discovery to see whether or not he could find Tcheles. He had a messianic vision and he felt that unless we discover Tcheles, among many other things, we will not be Zoyche to Moshiach Tzidkenu. And he went to Italy and he discovered a particular fish, it's not actually a fish, called the cuttlefish. 
It's a type of squid that squirts an ink. And he said that this cuttlefish in the Mediterranean Sea is the source of Tcheles. He wrote a whole safer about it. I have it. And then he had to defend himself against those who criticized him. There was a fellow called Gelbstein in Yerushalayim who, who devoted the latter part of his life to discrediting the Radzina Rebbe because he felt that the man was a fraud and a fake. But whatever the case may be, cuttlefish is the source of Tcheles. A few weeks ago, you may recall, and you can find it online, I interviewed and had a conversation with um, Isaac Herzog from the Jewish Agency about his great-grandfather, Dein Hillman. But uh, Isaac Herzog's grandfather, after whom he is named, Yitzchak Isaac Herzog, the Rav Rashi of Eretz Yisrael, of Medinat Yisrael, um, he wrote his doctoral dissertation in Paris about Tcheles, and he actually said that the Radzina Rebbe got it wrong and he said it's the, I think, Murex snail that is the source of Tcheles, whatever it is. If you go to Eretz Yisrael today, you will see many people who've got Tcheles in their tzitzis. Either one or two threads hanging down from each corner is colored with a blue dye and um, the tzitzis today, many people wear Tcheles. There was a time when I did wear Tcheles, I don't wear it anymore, I do have tzitzis with Tcheles, but whatever it is, this concept of Tcheles is deeply embedded in our tradition. It's not a rabbinic addition, as it were. It's there, right there in the heart of the parish about Tzitzis. It says, Hakonof Pasil Tcheles. You have to have Tcheles in your Tzitzis. So it's a long introduction to the next piece of this Medrash. What does the Medrash say? The Medrash says that Korach challenged Moshe Rabbeinu and he said to him, you say that you have to put on Titis a Pasiltacheles, a blue thread. How about this? Listen to this Shaila. Rabbi Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu. Talis Shekula Tacheles. If you've got a talis that is entirely made of blue, of blue thread, of the proper blue thread, the same thread that you would use to add the thread to the titis. Mahisha yehei petura mina titis. Do you have to put titis on such a talus? Good shaila, no? What do you think of that shaila? It's quite a good shaila. The shaila is, if you have something, what is the point of having tcheles? It's there to remind you about something. It's there to trigger your mind in a particular direction. We're going to see there's various ideas as to what that should mean. But clearly, if your entire talus is tcheles, why do you need to wear tzitzis with tcheles? Or tzitzis at all? Whatever it is that tzitzis can achieve, the talus that is completely tcheles will achieve the same thing. That was the shaila that Kairach asked Moshe Rabbeinu. That's why, says the Medrash, the parsha of tzitzis immediately precedes the parsha about Kairach. Omar loy Moshe. To which Moses responded, Chayeves betzitzis. On such a talus, Shekulay techeles, you have to put tzitzis. Ha! Omar loy koirach. Koirach was a London. I don't know if he learned in Ponovish or Brisk, or which yeshiva he went to, but he was a London. He made a kalvachoymer, and he says, based on the kalvachoymer, I'm about to say, what you're saying, Mr. Moshe, doesn't make any sense. Talis shekulay techeles. If it's true that a talis that's completely made of blue thread does not 
exempt it from titis. Are you suggesting that just four threads of blue will exempt it? It's an interesting question, right? In other words, are you suggesting that an entire talus of blue doesn't achieve the objective of titsis, and yet just four threads do achieve that objective? It doesn't make any sense. Kalvachimer, if just four threads are able to achieve whatever the objective of titsis is, then surely a talus that is made completely of treles should achieve that objective, and then you don't need the treles and you don't need the titsis. That was the shaila that Koirach asked Moshe Rabbeinu, to which he didn't immediately respond because Koirach had another shaila. Listen to this one. Bayis mole sefarim. You have a house and it's completely full of sifrei Torah. You walk into the house and right there as you walk in, in the entrance, the sifrei Torah. Go into the living room, sifrei Torah. Go into the dining room, sifrei Torah. Go into the kitchen, sifrei Torah. Go upstairs. Go into the first bedroom, sifrei Torah. You're going to the master bedroom, Sifrei Torah. Wherever you go, in the attic, Sifrei Torah. The whole house is full of Torah scrolls. Mahu shetahei petura min On such a house. Do you have to put a mezuzah? Do you have to hang a mezuzah on the door? Good shayla, no? So this is what Moshe Rabbeinu responded. On Aloy, he said to him, Chayeves b'mezuzah. Yes. You do have to put a mezuzah on the door of a house that is full of Sifrei Torah, full of Torah scrolls. Oh my Lord. So Karach said to him, An entire Torah that has 275 chapters. You listening to this? That's how many chapters there are on the Torah. You go and count them. Kulon in and how many Sifrei Torah you have in the house with 275 chapters? They don't exempt the house from a mezuzah. But you just put two parashas in a little mezuzah scroll, hang it on the door, and now the house is allowed to be lived in? What are you talking about, Mr. Moshe Rabbeinu? What are you saying? What type of religion are you foisting on us? Omar loy, Sekerach said to Moshe Rabbeinu, what you're saying makes absolutely no sense. It's illogical. It's not true. You're a fake. You're a fraud. Yes, Hashem commanded us to have two parishes on the door, for example. But of course, if we have parishes in the house, we don't need two parishes on the door. You've invented this mitzvah. You've created it. You've created the rules associated with it. You are nothing but a fraud looking to control the Jewish people. This was the foundation of Koirach's rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu, trying to usurp him and replace him. Now we're going to get to the rest of the Medrash. You're going to see how central this entire uh, early part of the Medrash is to the core idea of the rebellion. And then we're going to look into it in greater detail. Omru Chachomeinu Zal. This is what Chazal say. Chacham Gadol Hayar Kairach. Do you know who Kairach was? He was the biggest Talmud Chacham in the room. Charismatic, knowledgeable, faithful, bright, a genius. Chacham Gadol Hayar Kairach. That's not me saying it. I'm not rewriting history. That's what Chazal say about him. Chacham Gadol Hayar Kairach. Do you know what his job was? 
you know, the Levim had jobs. They could carry all different things, but there were certain people who were designated to carry the more important things in the Mishkan when it went from one place to another. What would you think the most important thing is in the Mishkan? I, I don't need to ask you to guess. You know the answer even without thinking. The Orin Habris, the Ark of the Covenant, right? Do you know who carried the Ark of the Covenant? Koirach. Did you hear that? Koirach was the one who carried the Orin Habris. Do you think that when he was designated to carry the Orin Habris from one place to another when the Mishkan was being transported, when he was chosen, do you think Hashem made a mistake? I don't think so. He was a very important, very special, very faithful, very spiritual man. He was a chocham. He was a tzaddik, clearly, until this moment. He was the one who carried the Oren HaKodesh, the Oren Abris. What happened? How did it all go so wrong? Let's continue with the Medrash. And by the way, I've missed this out. If you look at the source sheet, that I took him to prove that he was the one who carried the Oren Abris. Now, Kishoma Moshe, when Moshe Rabbeinu said, the Nosnal Tzitzis Akonov Pesil Techeles, that you need to put a blue thread on Tzitzis, Me Osa Koirach, what did Koirach do immediately? Osa Miyad Tzivov Osa Mosayim Chamishim Talisois Techeles, he immediately asked that the artisans, the tailors, should make 250 Talesim. Prayer shawls. When it's atfu behen oison, chamishnu masayim ish roshes and edrois shekomu al Moshe, and he invited the 250 people who ultimately formed the group that challenged Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership, and he asked them to put these talis talisim on. Amad koirach v'osolahem mishte. Then he made a massive banquet. When it's atfu kulam betalisay tcheles, and each one of the people would. Uh, put on their belut talis, and at this stage, the children of Aaron, who were the children of the priest, came to claim their priestly dues, which were due to them because of whatever food was being served. These were two things the rib meat and the thigh meat was something that was due to the Kohanim. They came to claim their dues. They said, excuse me, Koirach, it was their cousin. Said, Would you mind giving us that which is due to us from this massive Suda that you're making? What did Koirach say? Amdu Kenegdon, him and his allies, stood up and challenged the children of Aharon, the Amrulahem, and said to them as follows, Who is the one who told you that you need to take the Chaz of Ashaik? Loi Moshe? Is it, was it Moshe who did that? We're not giving you anything. God never told him about this. In other words, this is an invention of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu decided, he made a decision that the Chaz of and these things that the Kohanim apparently are due, that that's something that should be given to them. It's not the case at all. It's a lie. Moshe Rabbeinu invented it. You better go and tell him, we're giving you nothing. So what did they do? They immediately went to Uncle Moshe and they said, uh, I hope you don't mind me telling you, but Koirach refuses to give us that which we are due from the huge se'udah, the banquet 
that he's holding now with his 250 friends wearing blue talesim. Halach Moshe Lefaison. So Moshe Rabbeinu went to talk to them, trying to reason with them. What, what is going on? What are you doing? What is happening here? Miyad Omdu Kenegdai, and immediately the rebellion began. And the Medrash continues. I'm not going to read the Medrash further. This is as far as I've included the quote in my source sheet. And this is as far as is necessary for us to know, just to get some sense of what is going on here with Koirach's rebellion. As you can see, the Talis Shekulo Tcheles forms a central part of the rebellion of Koirach against Moshe Rabbeinu. Immediately after he gave the instructions for Titus, that's when the rebellion began. What is the connection between tzitzis and rebellion? If I were to ask you, of all the mitzvahs in the Torah that might offend you and might generate in you a feeling of rebellion, would you say that tzitzis is in the top 10? There's 613 mitzvahs to choose from, okay? Would you say that tzitzis is in the top 10? I don't think so. Do you agree with me? I don't think that that's the case. I don't even think it would be in the top 50. Frankly, I don't think it would be in the top 300. Why would we find... Uh, um, why would we find Titus offensive? I can tell you one which perhaps might be offensive. That every Shabbos we have to keep Shabbos. Ugh, keep Shabbos? It's so annoying. I don't want to keep Shabbos. Somebody might say, I'm not so interested in Shabbos. I'll have a day of rest when I need one. Maybe it can be a Tuesday one week. Next week will be a Wednesday. Sometimes it'll be a Shabbos. Every Shabbos? I have to keep Shabbos? How annoying! What about tzitzis? Okay, if I don't want to wear tzitzis, I don't have to buy a beged with Arba Kampfos. I don't have to buy a beged which has four corners. If I buy, if I obtain, if I make such a beged, I'll put tzitzis on them. And why should I be offended by it? Pesach. I don't want to eat matzah. I hate matzah. I can understand if Koirach started a rebellion because he doesn't like matzah. That I can understand. Tzitzis? Of all the mitzvahs in the Torah that he would have chosen to challenge Moshe Rabbeinu for the leadership, would you have said that Tzitzis was at the top of the list? No! So what's going on? Do you know what he did when he heard about Tzitzis? He made a talus, a rebellion talus. And he gave it to 250 people and he made a massive suda. He was flaunting this rebellion. He knew what would happen. And it was Titsis that generated it. The Tcheles of Titsis that generated this feeling of rebellion in Koirach. What was going on? Is that a good question? I could leave you now. I could end the share now and make you puzzle over it. And maybe in a few weeks or a few months... We could discuss it, but I wouldn't like to leave you on the edge of a cliff. It's not nice. If you're a teacher, you ask a question, you have the build-up, and now I've got to give you the answer, right? Do you agree? Okay, so that's what we're going to do. Let's look first at the Likute Halochis. Do you know who wrote the Likute Halochis? Rav Nachman of Breslov. Rav Nachman of Breslov wrote Likute Halochis. Fascinating sefer. If you've never seen it, you should look through it. I've got a quotation here. Fascinating. Absolutely amazing. Listen carefully. It's the bottom of the first page of our source sheet. Says Reb Nachman of Breslov, "V'zeh bechinas machloikas koyrach she'omur Rabbi Seinu Zal she'mach luktoi hoyo she'shoal." 
This, I want to tell you, says Reb Nachman, what the essence was of the Machlokas of Koirach and Moshe Rabbeinu. He asked the following question. The Medrash that we just had. He's taking it, I think, from Medrash Rabbah. Is a talis that's totally made of tcheles. Do you have to put titis on it? Amaloi, hein. So Moshe Rabbeinu responded, yes, you do. Hischil mesachek olav. Says Rab Nachman, quoting the Medrash, Korach began laughing at Moshe Rabbeinu. Ma talis shamin acher chut echot shal tcheles poitra. If a talis is made from a totally different fabric, one single thread of tcheles will be sufficient to exempt it and to make it wearable. Kalva choymer, surely, if the entire beged is made from tcheles, you shouldn't have a problem wearing it even if, if there isn't titis on the corners. V'chein shal, and similarly, says Reb Nachman, quoting the Medrash, Bayis moles farim is a house that's full of Sifrei Torah. Do you have to put a mezuzah on the door? And he answers in the same way as we heard in the Medrash, Hainu Kanal. Why? What is going on here? What happened with Koirach? Says Rab Nachman of Breslev without saying it specifically. But he says, Koirach was looking for the perfect foil to undermine not Moshe Rabbeinu, but God. Ki kofar Be careful, Reb Nachman is saying. There are people who hide behind rational and legitimate concerns, but actually what is going on is much more sinister and insidious. Koirach wasn't a straightforward person. Chochom, Chazal call him. He was very bright. He was a scholar. But he wasn't a man of faith. There was something going on there. There was something deeply rotten about Koirach. Reb Nachman says, do you know what he was? Ki Koirach kofar ba'ikar. He was a Russia. He completely denied the concept of God being involved in the daily lives of human beings and particularly of those of his chosen nation, the Jewish people. This is the standard view of those who say that maybe God exists, but that has no relevance in our lives. Don't pretend, those people say, that God has any say in the way we conduct ourselves. We have a say in how we conduct ourselves. We decide what's right and we decide what's wrong. We're not denying God per se. We're denying God's role in our lives in the minutest details of our lives. He wanted to completely undermine the whole Torah. By the way, he didn't like Shabbos either. And he didn't like Pesach, and he didn't like kosher, and he didn't like anything. But that's not where he started. He started with tzitzis. And listen to why, says Reb Nachman of Breslev. He wanted to deny the concept, the idea, that God can continue have a role to play in our lives, in our day-to-day -day lives, in our personal lives, by our observance of Torah and mitzvahs. Totally not as far as he was concerned. It was nonsense. 
Tinofa bikfiras hakoifrim. Do you know why? This is the logic of deniers, of God deniers, those people who wish to deny this aspect of God's role in our lives. Sha'imrim, do you know what they say? There is no such thing as God having a personal involvement in our lives. There is a God, but the hashkocha of God is a general hashkocha. It's got nothing to do with whether or not I kept mitzvahs. That's not what God's interested in. God's not. God is God. He is omnipotent. He is almighty. Why would he care if I do these little silly mitzvahs? Does he really, really care if me as an individual do this mitzvah in this way or that way? Of course not. He doesn't care. That's what Kofrim say. They deny any type of personal involvement of God in your life. It's not personal. Yeah, you're part of a klal and God has a vague and general interest in what goes on but not a specific interest. And that's why I don't need to keep mitzvahs. And for that reason, he wanted to undermine the concept of the nitty-gritty little details of mitzvahs that we have to observe. When it comes to general ideas of mitzvahs, we can come up with some reason as to why they're a good thing. Broadly speaking, many of the things in the Torah make a lot of sense. For example, it's a nice idea to eat matzah on Pesach. Why not? Because they eat matzah in Egypt. Why shouldn't we eat matzah on Pesach? But do I have to be so makbid that the matzah shouldn't be chomet? So I, mean, I have to be so careful? Well, come on. Let's not go overboard. Let's not push, you know, to the nth degree. I can have matzah on Pesach. And maybe it's chomet, maybe it isn't. But it's matzah. It's, broadly speaking, it's a wonderful idea. A day of rest every week. Does it matter if it's Shabbos, Sunday, Tuesday or Wednesday? What difference does it make? I'll make sure I take off a day every single week. And I'll keep Shabbos to whatever I think Shabbos is. Sometimes I'll play baseball. Sometimes I'll go to the market. Sometimes, sometimes I'll go to shul as well. I mean, that's a nice idea. Why not? We should go to shul. We should socialize at Kiddush Club. But that's not the mitzvah. The mitzvah is Shmira Shabbos. There's 39 melochas. We're now learning Maseches Shabbos in Dafyomi. There's, there's 39 melochas. And there's details about each one of, the, each one of those melochas, how we're meant to observe Shabbos. Says Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, do you know what Kerach was? Kerach was a koifer. He was a denier. But if he started with Shabbos, he knew he wouldn't get anywhere. He needed to start with something which he could immediately demonstrate, use to demonstrate that observance of detailed mitzvahs are ridiculous. That's what he wanted to do. He was waiting for that opportunity and the moment it came, he pounced. Kofatz, that's the Losh and the Medrash users. Kofatz Koirach. He literally pounced on Moshe Rabbeinu. Ah, you've told me that I have to wear tzitzis? I'm going to show you. I'm going to demonstrate to you, you don't know what you're talking about. When it comes to general mitzvahs, we can always find a good reason for them. But in the end, do you know what those reasons are? They're hevel. I need to have a day of rest. Who said? Maybe you don't. Maybe you can work seven days a week and it's not a problem. 
By the way, there's cultures where they work seven days a week. Maybe you shouldn't take off one day a week. Maybe you should only take off three hours every day. I mean, who's to say that Shabbos is such a good idea? In other words, trying to come up with logic to underpin mitzvahs as the essence of what those mitzvahs are is an exercise in futility. Because in the end, we don't really know what mitzvahs are. Listen to what he says. As we find even today, he says they're trying to find reasons why we keep mitzvahs. The very famous at that particular period in time was a discussion as to whether the laws of kashrut have to do with ancient laws of hygiene. The reason why you shouldn't eat particular foods is because it's much healthier to eat the foods if you keep the laws of kashrus. That was something which was prevalent at the time Reb Nachman was writing this, that the kofrim, the maskilim, were beginning to come up with reason. And therefore, by the way, many years ago, I heard um, Zalman Shechta Shalomi, he gave a talk in London, and he'd come up with this concept of what he called eco-kosher. Have you ever heard of eco-kosher? So if you look at the renewal movement, he was, I don't know, somehow associated with reconstructionist Judaism. Zalman Shechter Shalomi, who began life as a Talmud of Lubavitch Yeshivas in Poland, and later on he was in New York, a good friend of Shlomo Kalbach, but he completely drifted away. He came up with this idea of eco-kosher. He didn't believe in kosher. In other words, don't give me all the laws of kashrus. I'll tell you what kosher means. He was like a koirach. What he said was, is that as long as you are an eco-friendly eater and that what you're doing is eating organic food and you're concerned with the environment of the planet, then that's a way of eating kosher. Don't give me this nonsense about shchita. Shchita is your invention. Maybe at the time when the Torah was given, shchita was a much better way of making sure that the animal you ate was not going to cause you any harm medically, wasn't going to be a threat to your life. But now, probably, I don't know if he was a vegetarian, but it would make sense that he was, it's better not to eat meat at all. That, that doesn't, that's not what it says in the Torah. The Torah doesn't say you're not allowed to eat meat. The Torah says if you eat meat, you have to eat it with shchita, and you have to do badika, and you have to make sure that the meat is kosher, and if there's no damage to the lungs, it's glut kosher. That's what it means. You're not allowed to eat meat and milk together. Come on, why shouldn't I eat meat and milk together? What's it got to do with anything? I.e., I don't really care about halacha. I don't care about mitzvahs, if that's what people say. What I care about is my interpretation, my rationalization as to why we observe mitzvahs. This is what Reb Nachman is talking about. This reveals that they refuse to acknowledge that there is any spiritual, deeply spiritual value in observing mitzvahs that has something to do with creating the oneness of God, the unity of God in this world by combining the physical, material elements of this world with the spiritual of God's Torah and God's mitzvahs. That's why we keep mitzvahs, not to stay healthy. We keep mitzvahs because Hashem wants us to keep mitzvahs. 
You know what happens when you keep a mitzvah? I want to tell you what happens when you keep a mitzvah. When you, it doesn't feel like it. Go, you could go to McDonald's and buy um, a hamburger. Or you could go to a kosher store and buy a hamburger. What's the difference? It's a, it tastes the same, by the way. I mean, I've never tasted a non-kosher hamburger, but I'm assuming it tastes more or less the same. What's the difference? The difference is when you eat a kosher hamburger, your act by eating kosher food because you only want to eat kosher food and not eat treif, unites your neshama with shamayim. That's what it does. You have the ability by listening to the mitzvahs because they are mitzvahs of creating a yichud between your neshama and Hashem. That's what you're doing. It's powerful. That's what it means to keep a mitzvah. I'm not keeping a mitzvah because it's healthy for me to do so or because it seems like a good idea. I'm not rationalizing the mitzvah. It may have a rational reason, by the way. It may be very healthy to eat kosher food. I have no idea. I've not done a study and uh, it's not appeared in Lancet magazine. But I can tell you one thing, that if you observe the mitzvahs in the Torah, you are uniting your neshama with God. That surely is the purpose. That's what Rabbi Nachman is saying. Every mitzvah you do goes and elevates itself in all the different elevated worlds and spheres at Ein Soif until God Himself the Ein Tachlis. Actually, if you start looking into too much detail into why we observe mitzvahs, you're just going to get confused. Because sometimes it doesn't make sense. For example, and that's what Ibn Nachman is going to say. For example, does it make any sense that if I'm wearing a talus that's completely made of tcheles, that I have to put tzitzis on that talus which have tcheles thread in them? Why would that make sense? I've got a talus that's made of tcheles. Surely I've achieved the, the objective, whatever the objective is. Or if I have a house that's full of Sifre Torah, which contain those parishes which are seemingly protecting the house if you just put two of them or two um, by the way extracts from parishes in the Torah in a mezuzah and put it on the door of your house surely I don't need to do that if my whole house is full of Sifrei Torah it's not logical you need to put a mezuzah on your house why? it's a mitzvah you put a mezuzah on your house you're elevating yourself to the highest level you fill your house with Sifrei Torah nice your house is a repository for Sifrei Torah you still need to put a mezuzah on your house one thing's got nothing to do with the other Valkain says Rabbi Nachman, and therefore, the, what they're actually doing is they're denying and undermining and trying to replace the words of Chazal. And what it really means ultimately is they are denying the whole Torah. And actually, the biggest threat to Judaism is those who deny the validity of Torah Shabbat Peh. That's always been the threat. The concept that there is a developing system that's based on an ancient system, but that it develops at a particular pace and in a particular way and on a particular basis. That has always been the great bugbear of Koifrim. They want to deny the validity of Torah Shabbat of the oral law. And this is exactly the trap into which Korach fell into. He denied the main 
the main plank of Judaism. Kamosha Amru Chazal, as Chazal explained, Alkain hislates me prote ha mitzvahs. What did he attack? He attacked the details of mitzvahs that were given in the Torah. Because he refused to accept that there were deep and important foundations to every mitzvah that are expressed through the details as we have them. These secrets, through these secrets, it is only through our observing the mitzvahs in this particular way that we are able to achieve the connection between us and God. You should know, the way we observe mitzvahs has to be very specific in the way that we observe them. Sometimes it makes sense and sometimes it doesn't make sense. That's where we say, It's Moshe that created the system by which we observe our Torah. How do we wear tzitzis? Don't give me this nonsense about having a blue talus. Do you know how we wear tzitzis? We hang fringes on the corner of a beged. You have a four-cornered, by the way, if you have a five-cornered beged, you have to put tzitzis on? No. What about a three-cornered beged? No. A four-cornered beged, specifically, you hang tzitzis on them. And if you don't hang them on the corners of this beged, listen to what Ibn Nachman says. Imagine you made tzitzis. And you had a whole decorative piece of art that had tzitzis and it hung it in front of you every single day. Or he wraps himself up in tzitzis from his head to foot. What's your clothing made of? I, my clothing, it's a new fashion. I made my clothes from tzitzis. I've got a tzitzis beged. It's the latest thing on all the catwalks. Or, as Koirach suggested, he finds treles and he makes a talus of treles and wears that. You can do all that and it's wonderful, said Moshe Rabbeinu. It may be wonderful and it may be very evocative, but you haven't achieved the objective, which is to observe the mitzvah of tzitzis. You've not observed the mitzvah of tzitzis. Why? Because you didn't have a four-cornered beged with tzitzis on each of the corners. Adarabba, hukoifer macharif or megadif as Torah's Moshe. Do you know what you're doing if you have a piece of art in front of you, which has tzitzis on it, and you're not wearing tzitzis, or if you have a talish kulot cheles, but you don't have tzitzis on it, you're making fun of Moshe Rabbeinu. You're making fun of the Torah. You're making fun of Hashem. That makes you a koifer. He called imras eloike. Every word of God is so valuable, so precious, so precise, so detailed. And that's the way you need to do it. That's the mitzvah I need to keep. Hear what Rav Nachman is saying? Do you know what privilege we have to observe mitzvahs? Do you know what it means to keep mitzvahs? And we're thinking that we know better than Hashem? We know better, better than Moshe Rabbeinu? We know better than the system that he created that is delivered to us thousands of years later how to wear tzitzis. And we think we know better. Koirach, who stood at the foot of Mount Sinai, knows better than Moshe Rabbeinu, 
who was for 40 days and 40 nights, not once but twice, listening to the Torah from Hashem? And you think you know better? What are you talking about? How do you think that your logic makes more sense than what Moshe Rabbeinu has taught us? Everything comes straight from Hashem. It connects us to Hashem. We have to keep them in the way that God gave them to us. But if in Zedaika, exactly, in every detail, as the Torah has commanded us. And therefore, Korach Shekofar Bozer, Korach, who denied all of this. He denied every aspect of what I've just quoted in Rabbi Nachman's name. Alkain Sho'al, it was for that exact reason that he asked this question. That's what the motivation was behind the question. He wasn't asking a Shaila. He was being a Mechutzaf. He was proving that his version of what it means to be a God-observing Jew was totally different than the one that Moshe Rabbeinu delivered to us from Har Sinai. He was making fun of the idea that one single thread of Tcheles can exempt you from a Talis being of Tcheles. But one which is made of treles has to have titis. He didn't accept this idea that the way to combine that which is below and not at a higher standard, that's what we are human beings, can connect with the highest so that the highest can connect with the lowest. It's a Kabbalistic idea by wearing titis. We create that connection. We can create that positive connection between God and us so that God connects to us. And for this reason, we have to keep the mitzvah in every detail, even if it makes no sense to us. According to all its specifics, and um, details, bishlemus in every aspect until through this mitzvah you will reach the light of God um, the light of God will reach us so that we understand the connection the personal connection that we have God Rab Nachman is saying that Korach challenged this idea that the details of the mitzvahs are important, or indeed the way they're presented to us are final. No, he was saying that actually it makes no sense, and because it makes no sense, I want to have no part of it. I believe in God in the way I believe in God. But I don't have to believe in God in the way that Moshe Rabbeinu tells me to believe in God. I've included a very famous Me'a Shiloach as the next piece in the um, in the source sheet. I want to go through it. It's quite shocking. It's quite a different take on things. And I've translated it in the source sheet and you can look at it later. I'm going to go through it a little quicker than I would have liked, but we've taken some time to get to this point. And then there's a Hoin Oshir and also a Rabbi Chanoich Ben Pazi, who died a few years ago, I think in 2012, which are um, other pieces which I won't get to today, but which you're welcome to look at. On the source sheet, just download it and read it for yourself. Let's look at the Me'ashilach, who was the 
Ishbitzer Rebbe, Talmud of the Kotzka. He left Kotsk, he wasn't happy with what was going on in the Kotsk um, milieu, and he created his own Hasidic group. And this is what he said. We really need to have a deeper understanding of who Korach was. We need to know, we have to have a much better appreciation of what's going on. What does it mean, then Korach took? So the Medrash says, he quotes the Medrash, why does the story of Korach come right after the parish of Titsis? which is what we've been discussing today. The reason, the Midrash says, is that Korach took a talus that was entirely treles and asked whether it was not required to also have glutitis. In other words, this question which we're dealing with. What is the concept of treles? I'm not going to go into the de in details. You can look in the Gemara. The Gemara explains the treles, the blue thread, is to convey the idea of yiras shamayim. That's what the Ishbitzer quotes here. The idea behind this is that Tcheles teaches us about awe, the awe of God, Yiras Shamaim. Koirach claimed that the awe of God would be evident to him and that everything is in the hands of God, including Yiras Shamaim. This is a very famous idea that the Ishbitzer repeats not once but many times in Me'ashiloach. You know, the Gemara says, Everything is in the hands of heaven. Besides for the fear of heaven. What does that mean? Let's, let's understand that conceptually. Everything is in the hands of heaven. Everything is fated. Anything that's going to happen to you somehow is fated. The one thing that isn't fated is Yiras Shamayim. You can't have Yiras Shamayim implanted in you by fate. That's something that you have to come to yourself says the Ishbitzer many times, not once. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Of course Yiras Shemaim is in the hands of God. Why? Because everything is in the hands of God. You can't deny that your life, every aspect of your life is governed by God, including the thoughts that are in your mind. You, you have this illusion of free choice, but ultimately Yiras Shemaim is also something which is given to you by God, because God controls everything. Now, I, I'm not going to go into it. It's, it's quite a difficult theological topic, and perhaps I should devote a share to this specific aspect of the Ishbitzer's teachings. But he wants to shoehorn this idea into this machloikas between Moshe Rabbeinu and Koirach. Listen to what he says. He says that Koirach had a fundamental difficulty with the concept of titis. What is titis? So listen to what he says. I'm reading the translation I put together. I'm not sure it's perfect, but let's try. Kairach claimed that Yiras Shemaim would be evident to him and that everything is in the hands of Hashem, of Shemaim, including Yiras Shemaim. And we know the accepted understanding was, is, that everything is in the hands of Hashem, besides for our choice to have Yiras Shomayim. Says Be'ashelayach, so how is it possible for a person to do something against the will of Hashem, if all will and action comes directly from Hashem? That's a deep theological question. How can one do something that is not his will? Which means, by the way, how can you ever be liable for your act if your act was somehow the will of Hashem? 
And he says, this is actually the disagreement between Kairach and Moshe Rabbeinu. He's going with the Chazal in a very different way. He's saying when Chazal say that Kairach was Chochom Godoil, they're saying he was a tzaddik. He was a very special man, but he was somehow ahead of the game. He thought about the Jewish people much more than they were. He had this utopian vision of what it means to be a full-fledged Jew. He thinks that everybody sees that the talis is kulay tcheles. Koirach claimed that we do not also have to have the color of the titis being blue because titis is only a hint for Yerash Shemaim. It's there to drive us to Yerash Shemaim. But if our whole world is blue, if we understand, if we've already crossed that bridge and we now live in a world where Akol Bidei Shemaim, Afilu Yerash Shemaim, and we get it, we totally understand that everything that happens is to do with Hashem. We've completely given ourselves over to God's will. We don't need tzitzis. Tzitzis is there as a trigger to remind us. But surely our aim is higher than just having tzitzis on the corner. Our aim should be to have to be in the complete talus situation. But in truth, says the Ishbitzer, the will of Hashem in this world will exist through the eyes of man. The truth is we're not at that level. We're not at the Koirach level. He's saying that Koirach was a very special person, a very spiritual person. And his machlokas with Moshe Rabbeinu is he says, you've somehow, he, remember he said, Kulam Kadoshim, all the Jewish people are holy. Why are you lording it over the Jewish people? Why are you saying that you're more special? And Moshe Rabbeinu was saying to him, but it's not true that every person of the nation in all times from now until whenever it is, are going to have the level of a koirach. Maybe you have that level. But, and by the way, you may have that level right now. Who knows if you'll have that level in five years' time. It's something you need to work on constantly. Who says that you'll be able to withstand the pressures of the Yetzirah? For that reason, you always need to have a treles in a titsis on a four-cornered beged, even if the beged is completely treles. It's not enough. You've got to make sure that you've always got titsis to remind you you will see the titis and that will remind you that there is a God in the world and you have to do his mitzvahs. He gave you mitzvahs that you have to do. Don't imagine, Mr. Koirach, that now that you've been at the foot of Mount Sinai and you were there at the revelation, that somehow this is a situation that will perpetuate for you and for every Jew for all time. It's not the case at all. Talish shekula techeles has to have titis. A house that's full of sifrei Torah has to have a mezuzah. You've got to make sure that there are always triggers in your life to bring you back to the reality that akol bidei shomayim afilu yiras shomayim. But not everybody's at that level. So here you have the Ishbitzer admitting that even though as some, in some respects, he's going against the Gemara, but he's not really going against the Gemara. He's just saying that there's another level. There is a beyond the Gemara level, which is, of course, but on a basic, normal, human existence level, which is why we need to have tzitzis on the corner of our beged and why we need to have a mezuzah on our door. We leave it here for today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening.